0: Hey, and welcome back to the History of China. Remember, which I'm sure you have all heard this enough, but check out the website. It has all the links and pages for each episode. And of course, thank you again to all of those of you who have donated, those who have followed the show, those who email me, and really just all of you for listening. It really means a lot. Every episode, though, as of late, seems to include a life update, and this will be no different. I have been in Newark, New Jersey, training for my job. And no, I'm not going to be permanently based here. I will be back in North Carolina. So no, I have yet to be in one place for more than two weeks since, I mean, geez, early May? But I love the new job, and I'm excited for the future that it holds, because really it's a fresh start and a new chapter for me. And the only thing we're bringing with us is the history of China. Speaking of which, last time, we covered Sima Qian, standardized tests, and we put Buddhism onto the radar for us in this show. Today, though, we are back to the main plot. We're back to the main story. Which was, well, Emperor Wu is dead. The dynasty is two times the size now. And before he died, he curbed his purges. So really, things were kind of in great shape. I mean, not perfect, but they were in pretty good shape. So it's time for a new emperor and new stories in the Han Dynasty. And before I say without further ado, let me note that I am recording this from the company apartment, which I have not gotten situated to be super podcast friendly, so if there is an audio quality drop and you notice it, don't worry, I haven't forgotten how to record an episode. Alright, so, without further ado... The History of China, Episode 37, The Eight-Year-Old and His Regent. Aye, so you remember way back when, during Emperor Wu's witch hunt days? I mean, who doesn't have those in all seriousness, though? We talked clearly about how these witch hunts ended up costing him his crown prince. Let's be real, though. One thing we have learned so far is that ancient Chinese emperors were not suffering from Henry VIII issues. You know, the ones about having kids who were also male. An empress, then a healthy amount of concubines, and a liberal view of monogamy created a lot of children. And thus, a lot of boys. But this was elitist behavior. Let's just get that out of the way. Mathematically, this wouldn't work if everyone in the Han Dynasty lived that sort of lifestyle. I mean, you're going to have about the same amount of women as men. You can't live like that. But nonetheless, Emperor Wu did have a male child when he himself was 62 years old, which is old then, really old. And so when the curtains finally closed on Emperor Wu, this heir, about to be named Emperor Zhao, was just a mere eight years old. Ah, Yikes, it happened again. A kid emperor. I've been warning them for, I don't know, ten episodes at least now? You can't have kid emperors. It's a problem. It's oh, it's a, mm, it just gets in the way of everything. I'll spare you the repetitive details, but yes, a kid emperor. Ugh, again. Emperor Zhao, thus, as you could guess by now, came under the control of a region. And for him, the region was named Huo Guang. H-U-O-G-U-A-N-G. I will make the note now. Hua Guang will be in this story. For a while. Like an Otto von Bismarck, he will play a key role in not just one reign, but Several. So, let's give a quick background, without giving away too much, on Huo Guang, and remember that name. Huo Guang was born, let's see, uh, we do not know when. If you have watched The Last Kingdom on Netflix, of which I have been thoroughly enjoying, and yes, I can enjoy historically inaccurate TV shows to an extent, this point will make sense. Huo Guang lived and died for the state. Everything he did was for the Han Dynasty and its well-being. And yes, he will take that dedication for the greater good of the state to the extreme at points, but alas, we will have to cross that bridge when we get there. The point being, Guang was a true believer in the Han Dynasty. Okay, For those of you who speak Chinese, or at least are naturals at picking up Chinese naming patterns, you may have picked up on that last name of his, Huo. That is because Huo Guang was the half-brother to Huo Bing, the legendary general of the Han New War. Though his life is, as you can already imagine by the lack of a definitive birth year, It's sort of murky. It's a mystery. What we do know is that by the time of Emperor Wu's death, Huo Guang had risen to be a prominent government official, albeit not one of a truly amazing note. He was doing good, but he wasn't the best. Upon his deathbed in 87 BC, Emperor Wu named Huo Guang and two others as the regents. However, we will get to those two others at a later point. Because the fact of the matter is, for all intents and purposes, Huo Guang would run the government. There were three, sure, but he was the regent that looked over the other regents. Huo Guang was the state. So, right before Emperor Wu leaves the stage finally... He had effectively set in place a regent system with the faithful Guang being the main regent. And that's a great step. But he wasn't done because Emperor Wu went out and killed Emperor Zhao's mother because she in his eyes would have been an overbearing and greedy Empress Dowager. Oh, the ancient world and its child emperor problems. Emperor Wu saw the potential problems. And he sorted them out. Because as we know, succession can be a big question. There were those who wished to usurp the throne. There were those that are really going to gain from the new switching of the guard. So Emperor Wu effectively creates a very solid region system. Kills the new emperor's mother, which is uh, questionable in our eyes. But it's for the greater good of the state. Though here are the problems that the new eight-year-old Emperor Zhao faced, and that's Zhao Z-H-A-O. And of course, if Emperor Zhao faced those problems, it really means Huo Guang had to face those problems. All right, problem number one, and this is the most obvious, but it's legitimacy. Emperor Zhao was not the original son. He was not the original crown prince, And he was not the son of the Empress Dowager. Oh, and he was an eight-year-old. I could barely handle myself after the Bears lost the Super Bowl when I was eight. So yeah, you can imagine these issues. He is easily deposable. He can be easily manipulated. He can be gotten rid of kind of easily. Other people also want what he has. Yeah, all of that's going to come up and fast for the new emperor, and Huo Guang. And secondly, there were financial and policy issues dropped in the lap of Huo Guang and the young Emperor Zhao. This was touched on already, sort of, but Emperor Wu expanded the size of the dynasty to such a large extent and through so much lucrative and ongoing war that as we know, finances were a mess order and pacification of these new areas was expensive. You had just raised all these soldiers, that was expensive. There were just a lot of serious questions that needed immediate political answers. So with that, we will have to work backwards here, because point one is going to be substantially more important to this story. So generally speaking, and I can say this generally, because Emperor Zhao will reign for a decent amount of time. But given he starts when he is 8 years old, 13 years as emperor seems a lot less meaningful when it ends at 21 years old. Spoiler, I know, but hey, let's not get too attached to the guy. The policy decisions of Hua Guang were pragmatic and they were simple. Emperor Wu had just won About every major battle possible, and every war. So all Huoguang had to do was cut the spending, and then with that eventually lower the really burdensome taxes, and try not to invade places. Seems simple. But that has not been the MO for many, many rulers in China and beyond when faced with these exact same circumstances. Most just, you know, lived lavishly, spent money they didn't have, and continued to seek military glory in the face of financial and societal disaster. Though this might be the perk of having a regent with a young emperor. The young emperor is too young to live lavishly. Because it's easy when the emperor is eight. A lavish eight year old does not drain the coffers like a lavish adult would. And well, when you have a regent like Huo Guang who really believes in the state, these simple and pragmatic policy choices are pretty, well, predictable and they're good for the state. But again, generally, the Huo Guang led policies led to an era of relative peace in the Han dynasty. And no, this was not just compared to the backdrop of the Last Reign which said heck to Jia Jia, it's time for war war. Yeah, really, on a macro level, things were great. The fruits of the expansion of The Last Rain could be felt, and people were able to finally get on with their lives. But ah, now on to point one. If you like court drama and political tension, you have finally made it to the promised land. I've been mentioning it for a while. If you don't like military history, it's going to change. Well, now it's really changing. All right, if you like political tension, hear me out. An eight-year-old emperor with three advisors not of the same mind. Greedy lords, ambitious family members, marriage tension. Ah, it's it's all going to be here. In 86 BC, just About one year after his ascension, Emperor Jia was faced with a conspiracy. This conspiracy was based in exactly what you think it would be based in. Because Prince Dan of Yan, yes, tried to sow doubts that the eight-year-old was not even the son of the late Emperor Wu at all. He got some leaders of some clans to join in, and the plan went as such. Sow the doubt, raise rebellions in their respective regions, gain some steam, eliminate the emperor. Easy. Then, like the average ancient world conspiracy, it unraveled. All conspirators but the Prince Dan of Yan were executed. And this is a good rule of thumb if you're going to engage in a conspiracy. Either just don't engage in the conspiracy or be patient and really, really cautious of who you tell what. If you're trying to overthrow the government, it's probably a good idea that you don't tell everyone. Or in that case, just don't tell a whole lot of people. Anyway, not spicy enough yet? Well, here we go. After the conspiracy, one of the three regents died. No, it was not under suspicious circumstances. But this regent was viewed as a solid middle-of-the-road kind of guy. He was a good balancing act. And that left, obviously, Huo Guang and his good, lifelong friend, Shang Guan, as the two regents left. Though it was offered to them before and they denied it, both after this third regent's death, both officially became marquises. And now look. When I say Huo Guang and Shang Guang were close, I mean they were Huo Guang's daughter married to Shang Guang's son close. And yes, that happened before the death of Emperor Wu. Look, they're buddies, and now it is just them as regents. If me and my best friend made it to this point, I would say I was pretty happy and I was content. Though, in simpler terms, let's just say that Shang Guan Was not totally on board with this junior senior relationship he had with his good buddy, Huo Guang, in terms of being a regent. Shang Guan wanted more power. He did not want to play second fiddle to his good friend. And now you can begin to taste the eye watering spice. Shangguan didn't come out of the gate swinging on this, though. His plan was to assert himself more, and this plan was pretty tame, albeit a bit suspect with modern and even ancient tastes. Shangguan wanted his granddaughter, the daughter of his son, who was married to Guan's daughter, to marry, get this, Emperor Zhao. Hmm, okay. While both regents would have a familial connection to the new empress, Shangguan was on the paternal side of that, and in a patriarchal society, that meant more influence for Shangguan. No more being the junior. And this plan is easy enough, until you run the quick math and you say, okay, hmm, alright, it's 84 BC, Shangguan and Huo children married in like, what, 88 BC? Hmm... The granddaughter of Shang Guan is, like, literally five years old, while Emperor Zhao himself was still, like, a ripe 11 or 12. Yeah, hmm, that's weird. And guess what? More spice is about to be added. Because Huo Guan hears that offer and says no. I mean, he is the senior regent, so he can say that. The reason he says no... Is actually quite understandable for several reasons. For starters, the stated reason in the histories and the most obvious reason to us is that the granddaughter is five. And even though the ancient world pushes it at times in terms of our modern conceptions of age of marriage, age of consent, etc., even this was frowned upon hard by society. This was even for them. This was too far. Then come the other stipulated reasons I can throw out just for conjecture. Huo Guang most likely saw this marriage proposal for what it was. A naked power grab and a direct shot at his position from his best friend. Shang Guan then did what I would do when dad said no to staying up late watching TV. I went to mom, found a new arbiter of this deal to stay up, and next thing you know it, I'm watching my 600-pound life until 10.30 at night on a Thursday. See, mom, I told you I would give you a shout-out. And by the way, don't watch all the episodes without me. But no, yes, Shan Guang took the no from Huo Guang in stride and simply found someone else to help leverage his five-year-old granddaughter into that marriage with Emperor Zhao. <sighs> Spicy. Shangguan then get this goes to his son's friend who was the lover of Emperor Zhao's sister, i.e. the princess. He networks hard. And here was his proposal to his son's friend who was a lover of the princess. And this is his proposal, and it's 100% not verbatim. He essentially said, Hey, bud, if you help me in the palace to secure this marriage of my five-year-old daughter to Emperor Zhao, I will make sure you finally get to marry your princess, because right now you're not of enough social standing to do so. I will help you. Sound good? And to this character, the plan sounded good. And the princess's lover pulled through. In 83 BC, Shangguan's now six-year-old granddaughter was made an imperial consort, and one year later was married to the emperor. Huzzah, that is indeed spicy. The backroom dealing knew no bounds, but I'm telling you though, it's about to get spicier. In the interim, to give us a chance to drink some proverbial milk and Cleanse our spice palate. In 82 BC, someone showed up to the capital that kind of, sort of, not really, but maybe from afar, looked like the original crown prince Emperor Wu had before the witch hunts. He was the classic ancient world imposter, rightful ruler, and then he was jailed and executed. Besides that, things were just meandering along. Government spending was cleaned up, taxes were continuously lowered as the financial situation became healthier, you know, the works. There was no war anymore, so by 82 BC, Huo Guang was busy eliminating the money-raising policies for war, i.e. cutting taxes, Moreover, he put an axe to state sponsored monopolies on raw materials like salt and iron. But by 80 BC, the spice reached its breaking point. Okay, enough of that analogy. In 80 BC, Shangguan wanted to finally reward Ding Wai Ren, the man who had pulled the strings needed to get that marriage to go through. Shang Guan wanted to make him a marquis. Huo Guang refused. Okay, what about a different noble title then? Huo Guang said no again. And again. And again. Ding Wai Ren, this man who had gotten Shangguan's granddaughter's marriage to the emperor through, was not to be rewarded. Guang was livid. And he looked around and realized he wasn't alone. Ding Wai Ren was also livid because Huo Guang was blocking a reward he thought he was all but owed. And with that, the princess who Ding Wai Ren loved and who loved him back was livid because without his noble position, which was the reward, she really couldn't marry him. And oh, those who ran the state monopolies that I just mentioned were abolished, yeah, they were also livid. So, obviously, a conspiracy was hatched. All the aforementioned characters Shangguan and his family, Ding Wai Ren, his lover, the princess, and some others involved in the now gone monopolies. Oh, and would you look at that Prince Dan of Yan the leader of the just recently busted conspiracy a few years back, who was spared execution, all sought to get rid of Huo Guang once and for all. I mean, he is just a roadblock to any of their plans at every turn, no matter what those plans may have been. Here was the plan that they hatched. In that same year, 80 BC, Prince Dan of Yan would send a formal complaint to the emperor that Huoguang was abusing imperial authority. And once Emperor Zhao gave that report credence and simply opened an inquiry, Shangguan, being a regent, would then be policeman, judge, jury, and executioner. Easy plan. So, when the report did indeed come to the now 14-year-old emperor, he looked at it, calmly invited his trusted region, Huo Guang, to speak with him, and promptly exonerated him. Welp. There was no turning back, though, for the conspirators. They hated Huo Guang, and he was going to go. Thus, they went and hatched a second plan. And this one was the magnum opus. The conspirators were done playing nice. They were going to invite everyone to a feast, and this is the plan. Invite everyone to a feast, the emperor, the conspirators, obviously, and Huoguang. The plan was simple, yet extreme. They would attack during the feast, kill Ho Guang, depose the emperor, then immediately install Prince Dan of Yan as emperor. But you want to know the best part? Trust me, it's good. The plan had a secret step at the end that only Shang Guan and his family knew. After they had deposed the emperor, killed Huo they would then kill Prince Don of Yang and install Shang Guan's son as emperor. Boom. Wow. So what happened? At the final hour, one of the servants for the princess who was involved exposed the whole thing to Hua Guang and the emperor. And look, I mean seriously. If you are planning a conspiracy, and if that conspiracy is to depose an emperor, kill a regent, and usurp the throne, I mean, I don't know. Make sure everyone in the room is fully on board. It's the least you could do. Shan Guang had overstepped to a point of no return. He and all of the conspirators were executed or forced to commit suicide. Only Guang’s granddaughter, and now thus the Empress, was spared given her age and her relation to Huoguang. On top of just killing the conspirators, though, Emperor Zhao and Huoguang did the brutal collective punishment for such crimes and they killed the entire clan of each of the conspirators. Yikes. And now, as goes with most emperors who face a plot of usurpation, paranoia soon followed. Nothing too much, but a notable change in the now teenage emperor did occur. But look, For the sake of a coherent plot here, that is where we will leave it for today. Next time, the last major event of Emperor Zhao's reign, as his decisions in a sort of foreign policy issue, would spark a debate that is literally still controversial amongst historians today. And that definitely deserves its own look and shouldn't be rushed and just shoved into this episode just cause. But that will be it for Emperor Zhao after that. Spoiler, I know, but come on. Now remember, check out the website, like, follow, and share the show. And a very special thank you to all of those who have donated and emailed me and all of you who have listened to the show at all. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you all next time on the History of China.